In 2017, the United Nations declared that 2019 would be the International Year of Indigenous Languages. The reason for all of this was to raise awareness uh, of the value of Indigenous languages, uh, not only for the people who speak them, of course, but also for the development and the promotion of cultural diversity. Today, we're going to be celebrating the kickoff of that year here on uh, on January 28th, 2019, at UNESCO headquarters in Paris, where, once again, I'm happy to be presenting our Culture Speaks podcast. I'm George Pompeianis, and we're going to be talking about is culture the key to defending indigenous rights with Victoria Tauli Corpus? who is the U.N. Special Rapporteur on the Right of Indigenous Peoples. Claudia, thank you so much for being with us. I will say again, mm-hmm. because thank we've had you here before at UNESCO. It's a thank pleasure. you very much. And when we were together the last time, I think we were doing Facebook Live. So mm-hmm. you and I are, are blazing a path mm-hmm. in terms of uh, bringing our issues mm-hmm. to the communities that are accessing information now from podcasts, etc. And in fact, I should say that this podcast will be available on iTunes, the UNESCO channel. So you can download that. Mm -hmm. And don't forget to be part of the conversation with our hashtag Culture Speaks, which Mm -hmm. is how we'd like you to be asking us questions and, as I said, being part of the conversation. Victoria, again, it's a pleasure to have you with us. And, and, And as I mentioned, uh, we've been down this path before, uh, speaking about these important issues uh, regarding the rights of indigenous peoples. Um, today we celebrate uh, and kick off the Year of Indigenous Languages. And obviously, people and language are connected in a very visceral sort of way. One cannot be without the other. Mm. But language also mm. plays a very significant role uh, when we talk about indigenous languages, mm. of which... The majority of, of those that I think that are on the list of languages in danger mm. are, in fact, indigenous languages of those some 6,700 <clears throat> languages overall that are spoken mm. in the world. So what's at risk here when we think that language is potentially being lost, a language? Well, um, you mentioned about 6,700 languages and almost 4,500 of these are spoken by indigenous peoples. So there's really a high risk of losing cultural diversity and linguistic diversity. You know, if the indigenous peoples are not uh, the rights to continue speaking, revitalizing and transmitting their language, languages are not uh, recognized and protected. So that's really the importance of the issue of languages because uh, these uh, languages are not just, you know, uh, spoken languages. These languages contain the the values, the cultures, the ident- they are also the basis of identities of indigenous peoples. So there's a lot that's contained in the languages which we sometimes take for granted. I guess languages are kind of like the combination that you need to open up a vault. Mm-hmm. And, and if you've got the right language, mm. then you've got the capacity to take advantage of a treasure mm-hmm. of, of, of information. Yeah, exactly. So when, when we think about that and we think about what is contained within the, the history of, 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 uh, of peoples, how they have been able to transmit mm. with their language... Mm. Um, 
it becomes just it's not only a resource mm. though for these peoples mm. because the possibility is mm. there that when you open up that vault mm. what you might find are things that could have global implications exactly for climate change for example yes exactly as you said you know the language just really is like the opening to the vault where traditional knowledge systems are found where traditional practices in terms of uh, ecosystem uh, management are also uh, captured as well as the the diverse uh, cultural values and norms that uh, that Uh, is the foundation for a lot of indigenous peoples. You know, I come from an indigenous territory in the Philippines, and I speak Kankanae Igorot, and we have one word which is called inayan, which basically captures the essence of what you, you shouldn't be doing because you are going to destroy, you know, the environment as well as the the relationships, the harmonious relationships between you and the uh, and nature and between you and other people. So that word alone contains a lot of meaning and uh, and it's the basis of a lot of the values that we we practice as indigenous peoples and i think that exemplifies exactly what we mean when we talk about language that it's not it's really a language that captures these values and uh, and worldviews and philosophies that have uh, guided indigenous people since time immemorial and continue to guide them in the way they relate with the natural world and also with other peoples. You know, our program, An Intangible mm. Cultural Heritage, mm. um, which has a variety of ways of, mm. of, of engaging in order to protect uh, cultural traditions, mm-hmm. um, to, um, to have them as, as, as vital mm-hmm. and... Um, Uh, and as important to their to, to present time as they have mm-hmm. been in the past, has programs that deal with education of these types of mm-hmm. traditions, many of which are carried on the back mm-hmm. of, of an indigenous mm-hmm. language. Uh, to, to what extent do you think that these efforts um, in incorporating understandings of our intangible cultural heritage uh, can be... Um, important to the protection mm. of uh, of languages mm. as we know mm. many of these traditions are carried on these languages exactly well i think that uh, the the issue of how these languages have been uh, sidelined or marginalized really needs to be uh, become more visible and uh, actions taken are needed to to rectify these kinds of mistakes in the past and i think that uh, uh, for for governments uh, that kind of acknowledgement of the contributions of these languages in sustaining you know whole ecosystems or territories uh, in terms of uh, providing the kind of cultural diversity that that matters you know for for not just for knowledge but also for for ecosystem protection for instance or even for uh, uh, you know uh, It reinforcing positive values that need to be uh, that needs to continue and also be adapted by other uh, uh, populations. Uh, those are all the, the different areas where the language uh, languages, the importance of languages, can be seen. And I think that uh, 
there are many there are some positive uh, actions that are taken now by governments like i visited ecuador and i had a conversation with the vice minister of education of ecuador today and uh, i acknowledge that the efforts of the new government to resuscitate bilingual international intercultural education is very important to uh, you know as far as my uh, the rights of indigenous peoples are concerned and and they are allocating resources they have identified as a, a, an under uh, a vice minister for in, for in, by, bilingual and intercultural education so those are some positive steps that are taken that i think if replicated in other countries can really contribute to saving and protecting the world's remaining languages so, uh, uh, the, of course, the other thing is the, the recognition of the importance of traditional knowledge and heritage of indigenous peoples. Now the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change is putting up a, a platform on local communities and indigenous peoples, uh, na traditional knowledge, sharing of traditional knowledge. So uh, these are the developments that are there, and hopefully this will really be sig significant moves that will protect and allow for the transmission and uh, revitalization of these languages. Victoria Tali Karpuz is uh, my guest. She's the UN Special Rapporteur on the Right of Indigenous Peoples. You're listening to our podcast, Culture Speaks, uh, live uh, from UNESCO, although when you hear it, it won't be live, but we are live now, <laughs> okay. which is, mm. is a good thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I wanted to maybe kind of pivot a bit in mm -hmm. the direction that you were just taking mm -hmm. us, which is this mm -hmm. issue of, of, of the traditions in culture mm -hmm. and the role of culture. Mm -hmm. um, culture, as we've talked about uh, just a few, uh, a few minutes ago um, in terms of intangible cultural heritage, but even cultural heritage sites uh, can be important spaces for uh, indigenous, uh, indigenous peoples. Uh, Rapa Nui in Chile, uh, Pima Chuan, Aki in Canada, uh, to name a couple. Um, to what extent, then, can we rely on a focus on cultural um, life as well as respect for cultural life as a means for protecting language and, in turn, protecting uh, these cultural traditions? Well, I think that uh, the first, at the first instance, valuing cultural heritage and living heritage by itself is speaks a lot. You know, it uh, it just doesn't refer to a particular culture or a particular heritage, but the diversity of cultures and heritages that are present in the world today. So, uh, declaring, for instance, a uh, 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 areas as heritage sites, you know, f in, f for indigenous peoples is key because that is where you find a lot of the, you know, the, the areas where they have sacred spaces, where they perform rituals, where they gather, of course, uh, food and medicinal plants that are important for their use. So these uh, spaces that are uh, that are carved out to be heritage, uh, world heritage uh, spaces, are really going to make a big difference in terms of protecting those territories, because these are physical territories, but also the practices, the knowledge that indigenous peoples have in terms of protecting and uh, and rehabilitating and restoring these uh, sites, no. And I think that. Uh, but the key thing that needs to be uh, taken into account is that these world heritage sites have to be determined and uh, and uh, carved with the participation of indigenous peoples, 
No, because in the past we have seen, I have seen situations where uh, conservation areas or heritage sites have been uh, developed, but indigenous peoples were kept out or they were kicked out of their communities, of those territories, because they think that they are, they are the the ones destroying, for instance, a forest or a particular, even a marine area for that matter. So, so I think that's the caveat that I have to stress every time that whenever heritage sites are developed, and these are heritage sites where indigenous peoples have lived traditionally and used, you know, since time immemorial, they should be part of making the decisions and protecting those areas because they are the ones who have the most at stake in having those areas protected. And there should be policies, obviously, there that ensure that the indigenous communities benefit from these exactly. these activities. Exactly. That's the that's the other part of the equation that there should really be uh, equal equitable access to, uh, and benefit sharing. And I was just uh, in a conversation with indigenous peoples in in Africa. I came there. I just came from Nairobi, and they were sharing with me about how, for instance, ecotourism. If this is developed, indigenous peoples will definitely benefit from it. But the situation as it is right now is. Not, it's not yet there. There are very few examples of indigenous peoples uh, benefiting from those kinds of tourism activities, but uh, they still need a lot of work to be able to make sure that they really are equally benefiting from the use of their territories as tourist spots. Is it, is it, is it fair to say that these, these communities are not in the mainstream in mm. terms of being able to access... Um, the economic levers of their countries. Yes, I think it's fair to say that uh, indigenous peoples are really not in the mainstream, you know, in terms of accessing the economic benefits that can arise from the use of their territories. And of course, the use of their cultures, you know, in most cases, their cultures are just commercialized, but they are not respected. And, you know, the integrity of these cultures are not respected as they should be. No, so I think that uh, that's one area of work where a lot of, uh, you know, efforts have to be done to really uh, have a dialogue with indigenous peoples for them to co-define how such economic activities can be undertaken. I don't think they will they will just reject anything that comes in, but the main requirement as far as they are concerned is that they are involved in, in defining how tourism should happen, who, what, what are the roles that indigenous peoples can do, because when, when that happens, the big tourist and travel agencies are the ones benefiting, and the indigenous peoples who don't have that kind of capacity are not. So that how do you uh, put the right balance in terms of, of course, generating income for the country in general and for the industry, the, the cultural industry, but also ensuring that the indigenous peoples are not left behind. You know, that's the mantra of the SDGs, no one should be left behind. And if the, those kinds of efforts are not done, then they will continue to be left behind. Well, I think you might be familiar with the 2005 convention mm-hmm. that we have here mm-hmm. on uh, the uh, promotion of cultural diversity, mm-hmm. cultural, um, mm-hmm. I'm going to use the word industries, yeah. which is a default, <laughs> yeah, exactly. but not exactly the best term, yeah, I exactly, think, But yeah. because we're not talking about large-scale industries. Yeah, we're yeah. talking very often, mm-hmm. especially with, uh, with these communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, small enterprises mm-hmm. w- in which they protect the mm-hmm. traditions. It's mm-hmm. not about mass production, exactly, yeah. and it is more about bringing these to the mm-hmm. to the present mm-hmm. and into the future. These mm-hmm. traditions, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, to what extent do you think that 
a uh, a convention and the initiatives that UNESCO mm-hmm. takes forward from that from the 2005 mm-hmm. convention can be useful in helping um, with especially on the side of this uh, the economic side exactly. while still maintaining mm-hmm. the integrity of exactly. these traditions exactly well i think the convention if it uh, it does contain references to all those uh, benefit sharing uh, mechanisms and measures I think if that's really taken into heart by many of the states who have ratified these conventions, then uh, it uh, it's uh, it's but logical for them to really have uh, you know engage indigenous peoples in developing the cultural <laughs> industry and be part and parcel of of of. Uh, providing them the incentives for them to be able to undertake this themselves, and uh, and uh, of course uh, allowing them to also present their own ideas on how it should be done. I have seen examples even in my own country where the indigenous peoples really have asserted that they should be the one controlling the tourism industry, and they they have uh, municipal regulations that re- that regulate how the big Uh, travel and tour agencies are going to, you know, do when they come into these communities. And I think there's more of those should be, more of those kinds of experiences should be documented and shared widely because uh, it's existing. These practices are in place, but not many people know about it. You know, while we we have seen um, over over time um, and and centuries, if Mm. not millennia, Migrations, even mass migrations of people. Yeah. Um, but in this 21st century, it mm. seems like we're seeing migrations mm. uh, that are um, of a huge scale, mm. uh, heading into what are becoming mega cities mm. around the world, yeah. where mm. potentially in the next 20 to 30 years, mm. more than half the world's population right. will be living in these mega cities. Those who are who are moving mm. are those seeking mm. economic exactly. opportunity. And we've already mm. delineated right. where the indigenous mm. communities are, mm. their culture, mm-hmm. their, exactly. their traditions, yeah. um, and they are moving, mm. and not necessarily mm. together. Yeah. And into these large mm. megacities where we have potentially new challenges mm. to the preservation mm. of tradition, mm. the cultural mm. elements, mm. And the language. Right. How do we deal with this? Well, that's an issue, of course, that indigenous peoples themselves have to address. You know, but I, st- I still believe that uh, even if this, many of these people, they migrate to the big cities, they still go back to their communities. And they still, uh, uh, because these territories are really, it's like they're, they're they consider these territories and they are just forced to leave their territories precisely because of economic reasons. But the other thing is also the push uh, to the governments not to centralize everything in the big cities. You know, I mean, the reason why they go there is because that's where the industries are, that's where the capital of the government is, the universities are found there. So I think it makes a lot of sense not to centralize everything. Many local governments are really pushing for more... Uh, 
for more policies and efforts to really bring some of these uh, you know, facilities to their own territories. In that way, indigenous peoples will not be forced to also go out and seek economic opportunities outside of their own territories. And then, of course, finally, I, just to say that many of these megacities are going to be in a very bad ecological situation, you know, because as we have seen the IPCC reports, these megacities are indeed going to be the hotspots for all these environmental disasters. So that also is going to push, again, many indigenous peoples to actually go back their communities. So maybe, you know, things that are that we, we haven't wanted to develop but are happening are also uh, opportunities for indigenous peoples to really rethink and for governments to rethink, you know, the way that they have been uh, developing or shaping the countries. That's one challenge which you addressed a bit early, uh, early on in our conversation uh, in terms of government policies. Mm -hmm. But we've also seen uh, government policies on language um, mm -hmm. uh, taken to other, st to other steps now mm -hmm. with a focus on national identities mm -hmm. and almost mm -hmm. a, a, mm -hmm. a unified national mm -hmm. identity of which, mm -hmm. of which there is no, there is no interest mm -hmm. in seeing the the shades mm. of color that exactly, are there. Yeah. Um, exactly, yeah. um, this is another challenge. Mm. How is it that we're going to address this issue? Well, I think that there are some efforts already uh, uh, to address such issue. Like, for instance, we have in, in Latin America countries which have declared themselves to be plurinational and pluricultural, you know, Ecuador for one, Bolivia for instance. And I think those are the steps that are important because not not a single country in the world uh, are there, uh, you know, homogeneous, uh, you know, societies. Many of those societies are very diverse in terms of language, cultures, etc. And I think that's a reality that needs to be recognized now. And that uh, that recognition of the plurinational and pluricultural composition of a particular country is something that's going to contribute to the to national development. I think there's this uh, myth that you have to be one nation, one culture, one language to be able to develop. And I think that's not right. That's not correct because that's not the reality in many countries. And indigenous peoples have been continuously challenging this kind of framework. So this is the time to really uh, recognize that diversity and to really uh, appreciate the contributions that this diversity has given, not just to the at the national level, but worldwide. You know, and and so maybe that's that's the one of the things that the the International Year of Indigenous Languages can contribute to. You know, breaking that myth of uh, of that countries only have one one culture, one language, and re and, and addressing it in the ways that are going to be positive not just for, for the indigenous peoples, but for the country as a whole. Is it going to get worse before it gets better? Is it already getting better? Where do you see the trajectory? Well, because we cannot also talk about languages separate from talking about the rights of indigenous peoples to their lands, territories, and resources, as well as their right to self-determination, to, to, to define what their economic, social, and cultural development should be. Uh, I think that uh, the situation that we are seeing now is is really not a very good sign where the, the extraction, you know, extractive industries are still the primary uh, 
avenues on which the governments would like to generate income. And this is affecting indigenous peoples directly. They are being forcibly evicted from their communities and displaced. No, so this will affect, of course, the transmission of language. So I think it's going to get worse before it's going to get better. You know, but I think that because there is the the will and the, the serious efforts of indigenous peoples to continue uh, speaking and using their languages and their own traditional knowledge systems. And there's a little recognition now, both uh, globally and also at the national levels. Maybe that's the source of hope for us that things are going to change, you know, for the better. Well, I like your optimism. Yeah, I'm, thank you. I, I'm with you. <laughs> but I think we have to we have mm. to engage. And I think yeah. it's good that um, mm. that we've had this conversation, like one, that. to raise awareness about mm-hmm. about these issues. Uh, also, uh, to uh, understand essentially what is the work that you do yeah. without so, getting yeah. into the, yeah, the, the yeah. nitty gritty because exactly. you're so eloquent and passionate yeah. <laughs> about uh, about this and it comes through <laughs> as to what we need to do. Victoria Tali Karpuz, thank you so much for being a part of Culture Speaks today. And um, I along with you and the and UNESCO, we will mm. all work on these issues yeah, together yeah. so that we may ensure that uh, we respect these rights. Mm of the indigenous peoples um, and benefit yeah, exactly, from all yeah. that they can that they can bring us. Thank, thank you, you very much George and thank you to UNESCO for being such an ally in the in the work that's related to indigenous peoples and I certainly hope we will continue this kind of partnership for the benefit not just of, for us but also for the world in general. Thank you. Indeed. And for those of you who have been listening to our conversation, uh, don't forget you can uh, you can download our uh, podcasts of Culture Speaks on on iTunes on the UNESCO uh, on the UNESCO channel and uh, please, you know, use that hashtag at uh, UNESCO is our uh, English handle. Uh, by all means, engage in, uh, in conversation with us about these issues mm-hmm. so that uh, we can hear more about what you're thinking and, uh, and see how you might even want to be a part of how we, how we deal with these issues. It's not just up to us. It's up mm-hmm. to everyone. Mm-hmm. So on that note, wishing everybody a great day wherever you are and whatever language you speak, mm-hmm. speak it loudly, mm-hmm. speak it often, mm-hmm. and uh, only say nice things. Okay. Have a great day. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm.